we basically made some rules around we are going to deprioritize channels that we know are important and can be huge drivers for our business. But we'd rather do a channel well, understand it and start to build that community and our voice and how it works before we evolve and like go to the next. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce, the number one show for all things e-commerce, where we get to hear from the best founders, CEOs, and digital leaders today. So if I told you that you could get the Rolex of cookies delivered to your door, would you be interested in that? Matthew Jung certainly was, and that's why he went to work for Last Crumb. Since he joined the company as CEO, it's become one of the hottest D2C brands with a wait list about a mile long. I'm talking about 150,000 people on a list to get cookies. What was the secret to creating a massively in-demand product other than delicious cookies, of course? We'll find out right here. This is Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org, and I'm excited to dig into this one. Let's jump into the interview. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited and a little bit hungry while prepping for this interview today. So I'm hoping I can make it on the list to get the next cookies. But until then, Uh (laughs) I mean, we'll see, I guess. I know how competitive it is. I want to start the interview off by hearing about your background because it was very, very intriguing going through and looking at all the different, I mean, you're a multi-time founder. You have all these different companies you started, some of which I think you started in college or yeah, Yeah. while you're in college. And so I was hoping we could start there and just kind of go through you know, your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So I, I think started my entrepreneurial journey pretty young. I started my first company was called Wellen uh, while I was at Whittier College and we made surfboards and we made apparel. And and it's kind of like that funny story, like, you know, sold it out of the back of the car and like, kind of like just kept evolving. And that was really pre D to C looking back, you know, it was kind of like when Facebook was like just getting started. Um, So all of the amazing tools and things that we have now to like build a brand didn't really exist then. And I kind of think of it as like my time. I ran that brand for about a decade and I uh, exited and sold it to a company called Huckberry, which is a big men's online retailer. But I kind of view it as like the period that I spent like learning all the like nuts and bolts of like building a D2C brand without all the tools that actually like let you do it really easily now. Mm-hmm. You know, going to Wells Fargo and like setting up like a merchant services account to like oh try to figure out how to sell online and like it's kind of wild thinking back to it. And we grew the brand to be sold like all over the world. We did partnerships with Uniqlo. Um, we sold in like every PacSun, Tilly's. It was really a really fun time. And that kind of led to subsequent like entrepreneurial like endeavors, like a high-end men's basics line called Grover, where we sold really amazing like white t-shirts that were made in like downtown LA. 
um, into like Birchbox and then a skincare business that I worked on for a long time and then kind of transitioned into doing a lot of consulting for other like early stage founders or like CEOs on like really interesting projects, like kind of solving like tough like BD or like almost like a outsourced chief of staff for like, you know, three to six months to a year working on like high level projects. And that kind of led me to join Last Crumb, which is really my first time joining a company, not as the founder Mm -hmm. and acting kind of as an outsourced CEO to help founders, Derek and Alana build, you know, their vision for what is Last Crumb, which has been a really kind of interesting journey too. Yeah. So so after having your own companies and doing a lot of advising, like what was the draw to come over to Last Crumb? Like what was the opportunity that you spotted where you were like, yes, I want to be the CEO? I think like for me, it kind of starts with like the challenge and like the opportunity. Derek and Alana had a really clear vision for what they wanted in terms of this is what the product is. This is how it's supposed to taste. One of the early lines that they said to me on one of the first calls. So like this is actually, I think, the week of my one year anniversary working with them. Yay. Congratulations. Yeah, which is (laughs) wild. And when I joined, it was really kind of a clean slate which was very uncommon in my opinion. They spent so much time testing the product, building out the recipes, like working on the branding with like an agency called Truffle um, in LA and not launching yet. And so when I kind of came on, there was this clear vision with a really amazing product and the clean slate that like every founder wants, you know, which is, oh, how do we build and commercialize this like thing? You know, what's the go-to-market strategy? What's like the financial plan? And so uh, there was still a lot of like, you know, really interesting, like tough challenges and even pre-launch that like I was able to like join them and help solve and like build roadmaps for. And so it wasn't like just stepping into a company that already existed with a bunch of employees and stepping into CEOs, really stepping in as like CEO and then helping them figure out how we were actually even going to launch Last Crumb. And I remember like very distinctly on the last call that I had with Derek before like I decided to join was he said, you know, I just, I want to build the Rolex of cookies and coming from fashion and like working in CPG and like direct consumer for so long, that's like a very intoxicating like statement to like say to someone. And that really like kept me up at night, which is like, that's a crazy idea. But man, if we could do it. How like amazing and fun would that be? And also like what a really interesting business that like could be built. Mm-hmm. And so that was, I think, the thing that got me like really, really intrigued and like took it over the edge. And then I think that we were really focused and like super disciplined in how we launched the brand. And we saw like a lot of like really small like compounding success in the early days that we just kept building on. And we didn't overcomplicate it and we kept it really tight in terms of like team and in terms of products and SKUs and things like that. And it's been, I mean, completely organic in the way that it's like grown over the last year. And I don't know, I'm really proud of like what we've done so quickly since we launched and sold our first cookie in April, 2021. Yep. I mean, so taking on the CEO position last year is like an interesting time to do that. Thinking about all the challenges that were going on and logistical issues. And what did the first... 90 days look like when you came in and you, you know, kind of like audited what was going to happen and your plans and like, what did that actually look like to get the company launched and actually selling? Well, and this kind of goes back to, I think why it was like such a like perfect fit was Derek and Alana knew what they wanted, but they hadn't yet like really like figured out the nuts and the bolts of some of the like operational things. And so because there was a clean slate, a lot of like the supply chain issues, a lot of like the issues with like everything weren't really problems for us yet because we had nothing to compare them to. 
And so we got to like kind of build a business knowing all of the stuff that was a problem and kind of layering in like solutions for that in real time as we were actually like doing it. So we kind of accounted for a lot of the things that were really throwing a lot of, I would say my peers for a loop because it was changing the way they did business. And we just integrated those into the way we started doing it. Got it. And so the first 90 days for us was really spent a lot on like, you know, high level like strategy, like where are we going? What are we trying to build? What is what does growth look like? What is like our early margin profile look like? And, you know, how many people do we need? What is the space? You know, what is shipping? And like, as we kind of started to layer in like answers to those questions, like more things became clear. And, you know, in April, we ended up doing like a small test drop. I think it was the 17th of April or the week of the 17th. That was the first time we sold product online on our like website and we sold out and it was kind of like this, okay, let's do it again next week. And it kind of led to, I would say a very organic one foot in front of the other approach. But that first 90 days was a lot of like, who are we and like, where are we going? What company are we trying to build? And what are the like most impactful like projects that we can do that are going to move us forward? And what are the things that like we don't need to think about yet? Yeah. Okay. So I want to unpack that a bit of hearing like, if you come in and you start analyzing even, you know, my own company, anyone's company, and you come in, you're like, here's the important questions I should ask up front. If I'm starting a new e-commerce company, what are the things that you're like, we can actually worry about these things later. Because from the outside, I'm like, I see Last Crumb, you guys built an amazing brand. You have, you know, a wait list. Every time you drop the cookies, you have people on the wait list waiting. And like, you have people talking about you everywhere. And so it seems like you kind of did everything right from the outside. But I'd love to know, like, what were the things that you deprioritized to start with that you think can maybe come later in a company's life? So the, the question I kind of always start with just generally is, should this actually even exist? I think one of the biggest problems with DTC is that like a lot of the stuff that's like being created and sold, like shouldn't actually exist at all. Hmm. Like there's, this isn't a problem that anyone had. This is just like a solution that like could make money. And so I think for the cookie thing, it was like, this is delightful. The world is like a crazy, it's just a crazy place. Like who doesn't like cookies? So it's like, for me, it answered the like, oh, it should exist. And then I think we just stemmed everything back to the customer experience. So like we we started with like a really clear, three clear pillars that we analyzed everything that we did by. And this is one of the things that Derek and Alana and myself worked on a lot in that first 90 days, which is what are our like core values? And for us, it was the customer experience is the most important thing, like at all costs. And that has multi-prong. You know, obviously the cookies need to be the best they've ever had. The packaging needs to be amazing. The unboxing needs to be great. And then the second is we believe that we're really building like a super high-end premium aspirational like luxury brand in kind of category defining in like the sweet space. Cause like there are really great companies that make, you know, baked goods and they're awesome. We're selling cookies like two, three times more than those expensive companies have ever sold cookies. And so we want to make sure that everything we did paid off that kind of brand. And then the last was we wanted to also build a company that was like commercially viable and like could grow and have sales and make money and could build value. And so that was the lens that we looked at every project. Some of the things that we deprioritized to like directly answer your question was like, all right, well, for us, we're going to focus on emails and we're going to focus on Instagram, but we're not going to do TikTok and we're not going to do Twitter and we're not going to do Facebook. We basically made some rules around we are going to deprioritize channels that we know are important and can be huge drivers for our business, but we'd rather do a channel well and like really kind of like understand it and start to build that community and our voice and like 
how it works before we evolve and like go to the next. And so I think that a mistake I've made, maybe no one else has ever made this, but I think it's like generally like universal is that you kind of, as an entrepreneur, believe that you have to be everywhere immediately. Like I need to be where my customers are and like my customers are the world. So I need to be on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and I need to be like doing everything and I need to be offering discounts. I need to have like win back emails and abandoned cart emails. And what we said was like, no, we're just going to be on Instagram and we're only going to send an email when we do a drop and we're going to send you a welcome email when you join. And our website is going to be a landing page that tells you to join the waitlist. And that's going to be our entire brand experience. And we're going to like, just we're, you're kind of cutting out all that stuff that you need, you know, the about page and like, oh, let's do the facts. It's like, well, there aren't any facts, like get on the wait list and you'll figure it out. Yep. I think that by stripping it down, we created something that actually provided a cool and interesting customer experience that people responded to. It paid off our brand by like helping us like fuel the fire of like, what is last crumb? And like, this is really interesting. And it helped us like commercially grow something that actually has been pretty successful over the last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, focus. I love the concept of just like focusing on the things that matter because you can definitely look around and see, I mean, many entrepreneurs, like you said, doing all the things, going on all the platforms, every new piece of technology. Let's try that. Let's try that. And totally it can be hard to not also be competitive when you watch, you know, the other brands doing that and playing in the new spaces and um, also having maybe success. And it can be easy to yeah not stay focused on just do one thing well or one platform well. Well, and it's hard because there's so many, like, there's so much noise, like there's so many signals. Entrepreneurship as like even a career, you know, which I feel like it really wasn't when I was like 18 and starting well in. And like direct to consumer as like a kind of like really interesting disruptive business model has like grown in popularity, notoriety, and like, you know, we're on a podcast talking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many conflicting opinions. And I think that people start to second guess like their gut. And they think they have to do affiliate and they have to do referral programs and they have to do all these different things. And it's like, no, maybe like if that works for your business and if that makes sense for your customers and your program and what you want to build as a brand. But I think that by doing less, it actually like can work better. But it, I wouldn't say it's easy. And Last Crumb, looking back, it's so easy to say, wow, like we, this has been kind of this amazing like rocket ship and it's grown so much. But Every week is really hard. And, you know, our first week to our second week, we grew like a little bit and, but we didn't see like some crazy, you know, oh, this was the thing. This was the silver bullet. And I think I always joke with the team. And I think I tell this to any other entrepreneur I talk to, and I try to remind myself is there's no silver bullet to like building a good business. Like there's not going to be this one thing you just do. And all of a sudden, like you are successful. And I kind of view it as we're, you know, on a sailboat going through a storm. And my job in the early days of Last Crumb and even still today is keeping everyone from jumping off the boat or trying to like turn us in a different direction while we're going through this like storm because, you know, everyone has an idea and an opinion, but we don't get to see how these other companies are doing. So like we don't know if affiliate really works for them. We just know they're doing it and it could be a huge waste of time and like resources. And so I think it's like really understanding like what matters, what's success, and what are the things that you know can help you do that. And then continuing to like not double down, but continuing to invest in those and build out those channels before layering on like new channels. Yeah. So I want to hear your thoughts around email because this is something that I've been personally debating of like, are emails really important anymore with, you know, the privacy updates and 
like how people can just have, you know, not fake emails, but they can generate tons of emails to be able to like subscribe to different lists. And it just seems like it's getting to a place where I'm like, is this the future? Like, do we actually want to own someone's email address and be able to like connect with them that way? Like, what are your thoughts when choosing two very specific channels? Like Instagram makes sense, of course, like, but emails is one where I'm just like, oh, is that the future? But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we think about this a lot. I mean, our whole business is email. Mm-hmm. So we've never done any paid ever in the history of last Oh, wow. No paid ever. That's probably a first on this show or no paid. That's amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. And we've grown our email and our social and everything with no paid. Mm -hmm. Email is our entire business because we send and release our drops via email exclusively. We dabble in some SMS that we're like playing with, which I'm kind of really excited about. I think SMS is like really interesting. I think that email is here and it's a lot easier to communicate with people It's also easy to be clear. And for us, I think that because we have such a short window that people can buy our product, there isn't really a better option aside from like maybe SMS or like doing a couple other like things on social to drive people like we do with email to the site. Mm -hmm. I also think that it gives us like such an opportunity to like create multifaceted experiences like based on purchase history, you know, recurring customers that allows us to like go deeper And like actually have more fun and like delight customers that are like coming back or maybe haven't purchased in a while or, you know, haven't ever purchased that is just a lot harder to do with other channels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So good enough for now then. And then if something new pops up in the future can be examined, I guess. Yeah. I would say though, the most exciting thing that I think we're thinking about right now is SMS. Yeah. Why are you so excited about SMS? Tell me what are the secrets there you're seeing or that are making you excited? Well, the thing that's interesting about SMS, I think, is that the like the immediacy. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't check my personal email all day every day. Like I check my work email, yep. and I don't sign up for newsletters on my work email or you know products on my work. And so with us, we sell products at a set time. So like if you're kind of like if you miss it, like you could just miss it because you were doing something else. With text, I think it's really fascinating because like we can do so much stuff immediately, like in the moment. And we've been testing it a lot and it's had really great results for us. You know, we've done a secret SMS drop and like sold out in like seconds. And it's a whole different ballgame because you're driving immediacy. I think that the thing that I think about with text that I we haven't really cracked and I think no, I haven't really seen anyone really nail it perfect because so many people use text as spam. Yeah. It can still like come across like you're, you know, the X like random person in X political party trying to raise $5 and like click this link and like donate to the like, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But at the same time, I think there's like some fun to be had there with what we've done at last crumb. There is a very clear and simple D to C playbook. You know, nothing that we are doing is a secret and nothing that we do as a company is rocket science. We just like actually, I think put a lot of intention and thought into like the few things that we do to try to like make them really, really good. And I think we're seeing outsized results from that intention. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. 
from quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about, publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Okay, so I want to hear about the organic growth piece, because I'm sure everyone listening is like, of course, I want to grow like that. I don't want to, you know, have to spend on ads. I want to hear, I mean, how did you guys actually go about, I mean, I'm just thinking about new products. You don't have a customer list. How do you find your first customers? Like, how did you get in front of people? And then how did you grow organically? I mean, we had 100 emails when we launched our first drop Mm -hmm. or something like that, maybe 200. Um, And we had a super small like Instagram following. It was like maybe 1,000 or 1,100 at the time. And we'd been kind of like trying to grow that with pictures and like getting people to like tag friends and things like that for the two months from like basically March when I joined through late April when we launched our first and for us, it was, we kind of created this like really organic flywheel around like the experience of Last Crumb. And our theory was if we could create some really interesting ways where people wanted to talk about the product and share it, that would have a like really amazing like organic spread that like could grow us like nothing else. And it worked. I mean, mm-hmm. we created this like crazy flywheel. It's something that I saw early on when I was actually thinking about joining Last Crumb is they sent me a box of cookies and the box wasn't in the packaging that we use now. It was like a shoe box filled with like frizzy stuff and the package, it was, the cookies were great. The packaging was horrible. I had a few people over because I was kind of explaining, hey, I'm thinking about joining this company. Would be curious to hear what you think. And it was super fascinating for me to watch everyone interact with our product. And it was like, I think a really key thing that led to like some of the decisions that we made early on. And the founders had the same experience with their friends, which was the cookies are big and people immediately start cutting them up and then they start sharing them and then they start talking about them and comparing them. And then weirdly, they started taking pictures of them like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like, so a lot of what we did was like built around the experience of like eating last crumb because no, most people don't do it by themselves. And so how do we empower them with like language, imagery? amazing box that's like visually like something they want to share so that they start communicating that through like social channels organically. I think there's a misconception that we did a huge, massive like influencer, like celebrity push. We did a very small, like very steady influencer push of like sending it to a couple people every week. Like big influencers or like medium, like what kind of people are you targeting? No, like all kinds of different people. I think like I'm not sold on like big influencers. Yeah. Another hot take. I've heard that actually from a couple people. Yeah, that you'd rather get in front of the micro ones. Yeah, like micro influencers like were great. And then what we found is as we were shipping more boxes and selling more boxes, the best people were the people that were just like people like me or you buying a box. And then like, doing it and the engagement from all their friends, like, what is that? And then I think this is where kind of that like aspirational luxury, like scarce product comes into play is that people love to flex on their friends and say like, I got them, you're on the wait list, haha. Like, and that became like kind of a fun thing. And then, you know, we started to see people posting pictures of like us being sold out and like, oh my God, I tried again, like, and I didn't get them and we would repost them. And a lot of what we did was like consistency and brand. So we basically just kept doing the things that were like the values and the things that we wanted people to be talking about. 
so that more people would understand how we communicate the brand. And like, they would also do them in a very similar way, which created a lot of consistency on social media. It's just kind of like grown from there. We haven't abandoned that strategy. We just keep finding better and smarter ways to like do it. We've had some like amazing like celebrity hits because we created this like crazy product that everyone eats cookies. Like yesterday we had a video that was on TikTok, totally unprompted. No idea how she got this box of cookies, but um, recording artist Doja Cat. Oh yeah, no big deal. She did a wow a 10-minute um, unboxing video and flavor taste test of the flavors for 10 minutes on TikTok Live. Oh my gosh. Wow. I bet that's the best piece of marketing you've ever had. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see maybe. Yeah, we'll find uh, out, I guess. But either way, it's cool. And like that kind of people are just excited because it's interesting and cool and like it actually tastes good. And I kind of always say when I talk to people like, I can't wait for you to get the box. It's literally going to be the best thing you've ever received. I know deep down that there's nothing I can do to overhype it because it's that good. The packaging is that good. The shipping box is that good. The unboxing is that good. You know, we have a 40 page magazine that comes with every box that like goes into detail about all of the flavors. Wow. It's that cool. And then you taste them and you're like, oh my God, this is the best cookie I've ever had. And you might, maybe there's some flavors that aren't your favorite thing because you don't like chocolate or lemon or something else, but there's going to be a couple flavors that are literally going to take you back and say, this is amazing. And I think that that excitement is really cool. And then beyond that, you can't buy another box because you have to kind of start that whole like process again to like get a new box. And I think that like is really fun. Um, And so that's the way we've thought about organic when we were first launching is like, how do we, this is going to sound really horrible. Like, and I've said this, so I guess I'm saying it to myself past Matt which is like, we've created like an amazing unboxing experience. And it's like, no, you haven't. Because if people aren't like posting about your product organically, talking about it, literally like if people like Doja Cat aren't posting your box and talking about your box, it's not the best unboxing experience. Like, and you should go back to the drawing board. And I think that I I see the power in, and I go back to the kind of theory that like, it's a very simple playbook. We just actually are like really going deep intentionally into all the pieces that everyone talks about. And by actually paying them off in a really unique and on-brand way, it actually creates those viral loops and that like organic excitement that everyone actually wants. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I mean, that's basically why you're here because we were talking to Hello Bello team. And it was two women that we were talking to. Yes. And they could not, they were talking about this for like five minutes where I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to figure out what this is about because you all literally just told me about this now for five minutes about the boxes, the cookies, what was in it, the order process, like how long you have to wait on a wait list or whatever. And that's like why you're even here. Cause I was like, this is interesting. I want to hear about these concepts. So I know that you mentioned that the concepts of drops is like, you know, we just did that because that's what works for our business. And it works for operations and production and, you know, all of that just works for us. However, I do think that's like a big piece of a lot of the conversations around getting on the wait list and totally. having to wait. And like, I mean, would you guys shift away from that if you got to a place where you're like, we can constantly be delivering cookies all day, every day. People can just go on order whenever they want. Or is the beauty of this built up around the exclusivity of it? And, you know, it's a luxury thing and you have to wait. And how are you thinking about that over the long term? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think there's always, I can say with with 100% certainty that there's always going to be an exclusive 
drop, interesting secret menu thing for Last Crown. That is 100% part of our brand. Like that scarcity, that like hard to find, that journey to like even get it, I think makes it even better and worth the wait. Mm -hmm. You know, for Valentine's Day, we tried something different and we left the site open for like a week. And we kind of took pre-orders for Valentine's Day and it was like a really successful test for us, which is something we hadn't done in the past. And just because Valentine's Day is different, like people are buying for a specific date, you know, doing it on a drop adds like kind of a new layer of complexity. We don't have plans to do again in the near term, but it was like a really fun way to try something different. I think that the way I would approach it is that like Last Chrome doesn't want to, you know, we don't want to build a brand that's like only does everything one way. We want to be able to have like the flexibility to continue to like iterate and like try different weird things, see how they perform and like integrate them into like what we're doing. For us, you know, we are making cookies like basically like all day, every day, most of the days during the week when we're not prepping. So like we can only make so many, which I think is like kind of like an interesting part of the process. I mean, we do everything in-house too. We do all of our own production. We do all of our own fulfillment, basically from ingredients arriving in our bakery to them leaving on a FedEx or UPS truck. We are the only people who touch what we do entirely. And that's also very unique in the direct to consumer space, which, you know, when most people work with like 3PLs or like commands um, or factories overseas, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But for us, like we control so much of the process, it created some constraints around supply that, you know, doing drops, like I said, made a lot of sense for because we can only just make so many. Like humans make our cookies and they make them by hand, which is why one of the reasons that they're so good. And it's a multi-day process. And so, you know, there aren't any big machines that we're just pouring all of our ingredients into, you know, and like a cookie pops out at the end in a bag. Yep. Some days I wish that was the case, but, you know, that isn't. And so, you know, we we have a huge team of people who hand make every single cookie, which is awesome and really, really special. Have you ever shown that, like the behind the scenes look of what it looks like to be making these cookies? Like that could be good, be some good content. You know, it's interesting you say that actually, that was kind of like a, like a zig to a zag. I would say that's like kind of what every like bakery company does. And it's content that works really well and it's really engaging. We kind of view our factory a little bit more like where they make Hermes handbags and they don't generally show that. Yeah. It's funny because we have a beautiful, you know, bakery mm-hmm. and everyone's wearing like what I would describe as like if Kanye West dis- designed like the last chrome uniform. And like, it's sick. Everyone's like in all black with like last chrome down their sleeves. And like, I feel like, oh, you know, I want to wear this like out. And yeah. we only give like that to like employees who like work for us. And so it's like, it feels very cool. It has, there's a vibe. But I think for us, the importance isn't, you know, we're not a making of company where we want to showcase like the product and the end result that like all the time went into. So we we don't currently do a lot of stuff like that. Occasionally we'll like, tease a little bit on like TikTok or like an Instagram reel. But no, I think that's kind of what differentiates us from a lot of the other brands out there that make baked goods. And I, I think that content is great. It's just how do we differentiate a little bit? Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting step, like taking a step back and looking at what do other people do and maybe we shouldn't be doing that. And I think that's like a beautiful approach, especially for a brand like yours that's positioning itself as a luxury brand. Like, okay, we don't want to do what all the other companies are doing, even if it is good content, even if it works. And that's cool thinking about like, how do you keep like kind of some secrets behind what's going on there? Even if it is amazing, like 
focus on the end product. It's a good way of thinking about it. Totally. Like I look at like Truff, like the hot sauce. Yeah, they were on the show too. Nick and Nick are led. They're beauties. They're funny. They're just like total legends. They yeah. uh, they actually, full disclosure, invested in Last Crumb. Oh, but cool. like I think that they do such a great job of like showing like the product, showing the end result, getting people excited about it. And I think we took a lot of cues from them early on, even before having met, met them. And um, that's a different approach too. Yep. We don't look a lot at our, I would say, I guess competition would be the right word, but like, we're not really looking at what the other companies do that make baked goods. We're looking at like companies like Truff, or we're looking at like luxury, you know, uh, handbag, handbag companies mm-hmm. or like other weird people where we can gather, gather like inspiration for, from, I should say. And that's been like really helpful in like having us like really think outside the box yep. and think differently and speak to customers in a way that has been really authentic to Last Crumb but different than what they're normally like seeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting you say that because we've heard that actually from so many executives on one of our other podcasts where they say, when I'm trying to get inspiration, I like look outside of our industry and I look at, you know, how people are solving customer service issues in the airline industry, even if I'm in, you know, automotive or hotel or whatever, and like trying to see what others are doing, but not looking at your exact competitors. Like, don't worry about them. Look at where you aspire to be or the customer service process that you want and aspire to be at that maybe has nothing to do with your industry. A hundred percent. Like when we, we just hired an amazing um, woman to lead customer experience for us. Um, and she was formerly at Away Luggage and Tiffany's. And to me, it's like, oh, wow. Like amazing, you know, a D2C brand that obviously has gone through some interesting things, but like also like grew so much, you know, over the last like five or six years, however long they've been around. And then Tiffany's like, you're talking about like a heritage, like luxury, like jewelry company that has like very customers with like super discerning taste, but also sells mass, which is like fascinating through like certain lines of their product. And so, you know, that's where we're thinking of like, how do we get people that are like doing really interesting things or like even internally as like employees um, that can provide like strategic value and insights that like have nothing to do with like baked goods. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to hear a bit about your thoughts around like the e-commerce industry in general. I want to hear either maybe earlier you mentioned you had, you know, a hot take around influencers. Like what are some maybe ideas you have that not everyone would agree with you on when it comes to the future of e-commerce or like, what do you see, you know, coming into the future in the next like one to two years? Um, I think that like this whole ad issue that's like happening, mm-hmm. you know, obviously like, you know, we don't do ads. So like, I don't know, but like from my peers and people that I talk to, it just seems like there's going to be kind of like a come to Jesus moment, I guess, in terms of like all these brands that like have been built off of like, you know, customer acquisition. And that is getting more difficult and harder. It kind of goes back to my thought of like, there are a lot of products that like probably shouldn't exist. Or I should re- like re-say this. There's a lot of products that are just like commoditized products that everyone's trying to like portray as like this brand and build this like community around them. And some are great and some work, but a lot of them don't. And I think we're going to start to see a lot of like attrition in terms of brands closing or changing or selling at a significant loss to like bigger companies or rolling up and becoming like Amazon brands or, you know, something that's sold in retail, which is totally fine because there's a lot of really great products that I, you know, use and love, but it's like, I don't care about your community. You're my body wash it's like toothbrush yeah (laughs) and so i think that's going to be like really interesting and i think that there's like a lot of opportunity in that as well because it like 
I think sets the stage for like, I guess in some ways, like brands like Last Crumb to come in and say like, oh, well, if you can find a way to create organic community and grow rapidly and like you're going to be one, I think, I think if we did ads, we'd be highly effective just based on like the organic growth that we've already had. But I think that it forces people to build differently and I think actually build like stronger because you actually have to do the harder part first, which is how do we build a brand? How do we build community? How do we build a good product? And then you layer in the things that are the fire on the, like, you know, the fuel on the fire. So like, as opposed to we're going to like fuel the fire and then hopefully we're going to end up with a brand at the end of it because we came up with like an algorithm that allowed us to like find like a niche in the market that like didn't exist anymore. That's not to say that that model still won't work, but I think it's going to get harder by having fewer people do it. It will probably work better for the few, but I think there's, there's just a lot of noise right now. Yeah. It's an interesting thought process thinking about how brands will start to be built in the coming years. If all those changes happen and go through and I mean, it's doing what you guys are doing now, but I don't see many people, like I said, doing that. So you'll be well positioned. I think now people are realizing that they can build a little bit differently. I was talking to someone earlier today about, I think that we've come full circle and I feel very fortunate in that I was like one of the, you know, last like kids who got to learn about like brand marketing before like customer acquisition was like a thing in terms of like direct paid spend. And I think we're coming back to like that brand marketing where it's like, what is a brand? Like, how do you build something like people are excited about? And like, how do you build that interest? And then customer acquisition becomes the fuel that like can help that grow or whatever these like channels are. And I think that that's interesting because I think one of the problems that exists, and I see this when I talk to mainly marketers, is that a lot of people don't know marketing. They just know how to do like paid. And paid isn't marketing. Paid is just a tactic that can fuel marketing. So I think that there's this like really interesting kind of like full circle on that that I think is going to be really fun. And I think going to build a lot of like much more interesting and like gauging brands that all don't look the same, that all don't follow the same playbook, that are just going to make better products, better companies. Yeah. Are there any books or resources that you rely on to maybe stay up to date with what's happening? Or when you say, okay, a lot of these brands like don't really even understand marketing, like getting back to the basics. Is there something where you're like, you would recommend a certain book to be read to be able to get back to the basics or that maybe people have recommended to you that have been super helpful? I mean, I think the best book that I've read in the last like few years that was recommended to me was actually a book that had nothing to do with anything related to like marketing. It was uh-huh. a book by Danny Meyer, the restaurateur okay. called Setting the Table. And it's all about like hospitality and just like how he approached building his restaurant group. That book was like a really, like really interesting way to like think about people and like, how do you like delight them that I think is really relevant to like building a company. I mean, like in terms of like newsletters, like I follow like a bunch of newsletters. I think like the two probably biggest ones that I follow are like the Lean Lux newsletter, which is like super D2C focused. Paul's like done an amazing job of curating that over the years. And then 2PM by like Webb Smith, which is like also just fantastic and like super, super insightful and engaging. I would say those are like the two that I would probably really go deep on. Otherwise, I mean, for me, it's just talking to more people meeting with founders, being involved in like Slack communities, trying to like engage and like learn and like just understand what's going on and like just kind of like watch 
because I think that there's a lot of like really interesting stuff going on. I like look at like a brand like Olipop. Oh yeah, they came on the show too. They're awesome. <laughs> crushes it. Yeah. I mean, like, but like from a pro, like they nail it. Like their boxes are good. Their customer service is good. Their social is good. Their branding is good. Their it's everything. Like they kind of nail all the touch points, and they don't like stray away from what they do well. You know, same with like Truff. Great product, super tight, and like they know exactly who they are. They're not trying to be everything for everyone, but like everyone likes it because it is what it is. And I think that that's how I think about Last Crumb is that like we took a huge chance on building a brand that sold really the most expensive cookie box that's ever existed in a really interesting way that no one had tried in like cookies. And we did it in like with branding and like a style that like no one had ever really seen. It could have not worked. And I think that's the exciting thing is that like, that's the risk that I think is going to make a lot of like new companies really successful is like actually having a position and not trying to be these bland product hero image reviews. Here are the like validators from like press. Here's like some like identifiable reasons that our product's better than like everyone else. And then like, oh, you should buy and like mainly subscribe. That's the playbook for like 90% of the companies that exist in like D2C today. That was the playbook that I kind of had followed like previously to last crumb because that's what that's what you're supposed to do kind of. And I think what we're seeing is like really, really, really interesting, engaging stuff. And that's like really taking off because people are like really looking for like stuff that's different of all ages too. This isn't like a Gen Z thing or a millennial thing. You know, we have customers of all age groups. People just want cool stuff. Yep. I agree. That's a great way to end an interview. People just want cool stuff. Matthew, (laughs) thank you so much for hopping on here today. It was really enjoyable hearing about what you all are up to at Last Crumb. Where can people find out more about you and Last Crumb? They can find us online. It's just www.lastcrumb.com. And me, I I don't know. I mean, I guess LinkedIn or something. (laughs) (laughs) LinkedIn it is. (laughs) I try to keep a low profile. But yeah, thank you. This is awesome. It was really fun chatting with you. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.